Hello and welcome to another episode of RT Plus. My name is Arusa. I'm a senior knowledge lawyer in the financial services team here in London. And today I'm joined by Katie Stephen and Rebecca Dulia, who are both uh, members of the contentious uh, side of the financial services group in London. And today we are going to talk about the FCA's recent policy statement, 2116, on issuing statutory notices. Katie, uh, to start with, perhaps you can tell us a bit about the policy statement. Yes, of course. Thanks, Sarah. The policy statement came out following a consultation paper published in July, and it's confirmed a number of changes to the way in which the FCA makes some of its decisions about firms and individuals. And so prior to these changes, some decisions could be made by senior managers within the FCA, and some decisions, such as those in the context of the enforcement process, could only be taken by a separate committee of the FCA's board, known as the Regulatory Decisions Committee. And what's changed is that the FCA is moving some decisions from one category to the other. So more decisions are made by senior managers and fewer decisions are considered by the Regulatory Decisions Committee. So the RDC is still going to make decisions in relation to enforcement cases where the FCA is proposing a disciplinary sanction or seeking to impose a prohibition order. But now the FCA staff will make some more decisions, including decisions about a firm's application for authorization or an individual's application for approval that's contested, decisions to impose a requirement on a firm or vary its permissions, decisions to take action in straightforward cancellation cases to remove a firm's permissions because a firm doesn't meet its regulatory requirements, and the decision to begin civil or criminal proceedings. The FCA has also modified the operation of procedures for decisions to be made by senior managers known as the executive procedures. So those changes include the senior staff committee, that's a committee consisting of senior staff members empowered to make statutory notice decisions, can comprise a minimum of two rather than three people uh, as it was before. Oral representations can only be made in exceptional circumstances. And the FCA is also making some changes to its policy on the use of its own initiative powers to remove references to urgency so that a decision can take effect where that's necessary without urgency being a requirement for the use of its powers. These changes have already come into force as changes to the FCA's handbook, and although they're procedural, they are important developments for regulated firms and individuals. Rebecca, what explanation has the FCA given around why these changes have been brought in? Thanks, Katie. So the policy statement explains that the changes streamline the FCA's decision-making and governance um, to enable the FCA to be more efficient in stopping harm to consumers and markets. As you all know, the regulatory landscape has changed significantly since the RDC was put in place, not least given the fast-paced developments in technology over recent years and the emergence of new products as a result. And the FCA feels that to tackle the new challenges that have arisen, it needs to make faster and more effective decisions to promote the right outcomes for consumers and the market and for firms. I know from experience at the regulator that the RDC can require a lot of internal preparation for FCA staff to pull together the evidence required to present to the RDC panel. So I can understand the argument that the RDC is not always suited to decisions requiring urgent or immediate action. For example, where there may be assets at risk of dissipation or consumers are at risk of significant harm. So I can see how it might be sensible for the RDC to focus on contentious enforcement cases, which are usually less time critical than, say, urgent intervention cases. 
where immediate action is required to stop a firm doing something to protect consumers or to preserve the integrity of the market, for example. And one of the potential advantages of the executive procedures is that they allow for a more fast and agile process. And in any event, the ability to appeal to the upper tribunal remains, whether the decision is being made by the executive or the RDC. So a firm or individual is still afforded the opportunity for their case to be heard afresh. Katie, what are your views on the moving of some decision-making away from the RDC? Well, I can understand the FCA's desire to be more agile in the categories of decisions moving over, but I can also see why firms and individuals may have concerns. As a general point, although of course the RDC is not wholly independent, being a committee of the FCA board, the structural separation of the RDC has pre previously given confidence to the market that those making particular decisions are not involved in prior evidence gathering. And one aspect of this is that the RDC is supported by its own legal advisors. However, under the executive procedures, staff responsible for taking the statutory notice decisions may be advised by legal advisors who've also advised FCA staff who are recommending action is taken. And this creates, at the very least, a perceived, if not an actual risk, of a lack of impartiality in decision making. And it was something that caused concern in the early days of the RDC, when the RDC was um, advised by uh, lawyers in the enforcement team. My own experience of having acted as a legal advisor to the RDC is that the process involves some useful discipline, including the FCA team having to put together the evidence to support a recommendation and communications between the FCA team and the RDC being disclosed to the firm or individual. In terms of the ability to appeal to the upper tribunal, firms might be reluctant to take that step given the wider context of the supervisory relationship and the potential publicity of a contested case. It can also be uh, costly and time consuming to take a case to the upper tribunal and smaller firms on whom decisions can have a significant impact and who don't necessarily have the benefit of discussing matters with a dedicated supervisor may not always have the resources to do this. Rebecca, I know that many of these concerns were raised in the course of the consultation. What kinds of safeguards does the FCA have in place to address them? Right, so the, the policy statement explains that, firstly, a decision maker under the executive procedures will be an experienced member of FCA staff, and they will usually be from the industry area where the decision is to be made. Secondly, they will be separate from the gathering of evidence upon which the decision is based. And as you and I know, the executive decision makers already take numerous decisions, including taking intervention action. Um, and, and the changes are, in fact, bringing all intervention decisions under the same decision making framework. In terms of the concerns around the FCA's in-house lawyers, whilst the policy statement highlights that under the executive procedures, staff responsible for taking the statutory notice decision may be advised by legal advisors who have also provided legal advice to the FCA staff who are recommending the action. In practice, the in-house lawyers, and that's whether that be an enforcement or the general counsel division that generally advises staff outside of enforcement, sit in a separate legal department and they are not involved in the day-to-day -day evidence gathering in the same way as, say, perhaps the enforcement investigations are, or the supervision staff, for example. And these in-house legal teams are there to scrutinise the staff recommending the action, including before it gets to the decision makers. So they have no interest in signing off on a decision which is not objectively reasonable, proportionate to the harm or potential harm that might be caused. 
finally, just on the um, authorization cases, the FCA sees the speed of decision making as being potentially critical to preventing consumer harm in these cases. And the consultation paper provided some statistics around this. It stated that the RDC made nearly 400 decisions in 2019 to 2020. And 329 of those were cancellation decisions due to a failure to meet federal conditions. And a third of these firms voluntarily cancelled their permission or took the required steps during the process, thereby ending the regulatory action and enabling the firms to continue trading. So the FDA would argue that it's disproportionately time and resource intensive for such a volume of these types of cases to go through to the RDC. Katie, what are your thoughts about the other proposed modifications to executive procedures? Well, on the proposed modifications, I think regulated firms and individuals might feel that they've lost some of the procedural safeguards which were previously in place for them. The move from allowing written and oral representations under the executive procedures to just allowing written representations with oral representations in exceptional circumstances could potentially have an impact on affected parties, as oral representations can play a key role in those involved being satisfied that there's been a fair process and that their arguments have been properly taken into account by the decision maker. Yes, and this is, this is a point that was recognised by the FCA. However, on balance, they've decided to implement the change on the basis that any perceived benefit is outweighed by the negative impact that oral representations can have on the speed and efficiency of decision making, which is extremely important in cases where consumers are at risk. To close today's podcast, do you have any thoughts for firms and individuals potentially impacted by these changes? Yes, thanks, Rebecca. I mean, clearly these changes are consistent with the FCA's stated aim of continuing to build a more assertive regulator and the FCA CEO has made clear that he wants the FCA to be more proactive and even more rigorous on upholding high standards with greater focus on scrutinizing applicants financials and business models and we've seen the FCA being more active on the supervision front in terms of using its powers of intervention. I think firms and their senior managers need to be alive to this changing approach and emphasis and consider carefully how to respond to interventions, taking into account the FCA's powers and how best to navigate the FCA's procedures with the benefit of input from all the internal stakeholders and advice where appropriate. We're going to be closely following the changes brought in by this policy statement and so do keep an eye out for future podcasts on our Regulation Tomorrow blog for updates. Thank you for listening.